Slaying the Giants. Well, when I think of slaying the Giants, I can't help but think of baseball. And one of my favorite things is to see the Giants go down. It's one of my favorite things in life to see those San Francisco Giants. I hope there's no San Francisco Giant fans in the house tonight. But I love to see them go down. And uh, that is not the immediate context of 2 Samuel. I think you all probably realize that. But we all have giants that we face in life. And they can seem huge. They can seem very overwhelming. They can seem very difficult. And sometimes, frankly, just too big for us. And when the uh, early story of David's life unfolds, there was a giant who was taunting the armies of Israel. And uh, that record is found in 1 Samuel. I want to show you that just to show you kind of the setting of what made David famous to begin with. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look at verse 1 with me. 1 Samuel 17 verse 1. Uh, by the way, when uh, the nation wanted a king, they wanted a king to fight their battles. That's really what they had voiced. And this is what it records. It says, 1 Samuel 17, 1, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were ga gathered at Sokoh, which belongs to Judah, and they camped it between Sokoh and Azekah in Ephes-Demim. And Saul, the men of, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines, verse 4, 1 Samuel 17, named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, about nine feet tall. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his leg and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and, your servant, and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that, I, that we may fight together. And when Saul, verse 11, and Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, we won't go through this whole story tonight because we're in 2 Samuel 21. But we know what happens. David shows up, this little uh, shepherd boy, you know, he doesn't seem to be the likely hero of the story. And he says, I'll fight this uncircumcised Philistine. Let me at him. <laughs> Tries on some armor. It doesn't work real well. And what does he go out there with? He goes out there with basically a little slingshot, five smooth stones. Some people say, why did he have five? Because Goliath had some brothers and maybe a little extra ammunition, right? And we know what happened, right? Goliath began to kind of say, you know, what am I, a dog that you come out like this? And we know what happened to Goliath. Goliath was told, Goliath down. And he did. He took one to the forehead and that was all it took. And the bigger they are, 
the harder they fall. And David became famous in the nation of Israel because of that act and other things that he did. And they would sing of David. Saul has slain his thousands, but David, what? His ten thousands. And David became a hero. It was a hit, uh, you know, it was the hot song in Israel. It was number one on all the charts, all about David, right? He was the hit of the town. And David had established himself because he was brave, but his bravery was not about his own strength. His bravery was that he believed that the Lord would show up in that battle. When he was facing that giant, he said, look, I don't come at you with, with these weapons. That's, that's not my main thing. I come at you in the name of the God of Israel. I believe in his power to take down giants just like you, no matter how intimidating you may look, right? And so that's what David did. David's faith made him a light to his nation. In fact, he's going to be called in this text the lamp of Israel. And what makes somebody shine tonight? If you want to shine in your house, you want to shine in the city, you want to shine in your family, you want to shine in your company, it's going to be all about faith. It's not so much the gifts that you bring to the table, but the faith that you have in Almighty God. Jesus said, let your light so what? Shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And so we are supposed to shine. And that's what David did. And David had to face his giants in life. We've been reading about it. We've been studying it in 2 Samuel. And it was a hard situation at times. There were times when the story didn't go the way David would want it to go. But David had to deal with his giants and you're going to have to as well. 2 Samuel 21, 15 picks it up this way. It says, Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel. I've noticed as I've studied First and Second Samuel, I'm sure you've noticed if you've studied the books as well, that the Philistines show up again and again and again. It's not just one time that you have to fight the Philistines and they just go away and they put their tail between their legs and go running off into a corner. No, the Philistines showed up again and again and again. And the spiritual battle is that way. I wish I could tell you that once you win one victory, it's all going to be cool. The devil just goes off and hides in a corner and you're never going to be bothered again. But that's not the way it works. The devil, Luke 4, 13, after tempting Jesus, went away and waited for a more opportune time. The devil, 1 Peter 5, 8, goes about as a roaring lion doing what? Seeking someone to devour. He's on the prowl. He goes to and fro, Job chapter 1, upon the earth. And his activity, of course, uh, is not just his own. He has others with him. And so the Philistines were at war again. It seems like war happened again and again and again with Israel and the Philistines. And David went down, probably from Jerusalem, and his servants with him. And as they fought against the Philistines, David became weary. The Hebrew word for weary is oof. Not kidding. O-O-F. Oof. If you watch the old uh, Batman uh, series, you remember when they would punch somebody? Oof. Pow. Boom. Whoa. Anyway, that just totally dated me. And the caption would be in that little jagged, you know, thing up above the head of the Joker. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, the word oof, weary, doesn't mean necessarily that David was afraid but that he was faint. He was weak. 
Sometimes in the battle, we become weary. Now, we imagine David as this ruddy, uh, always on fire man of God who wasn't afraid of anything, could take on any giant. But in this particular battle, and we don't know in the epilogue section of 2 Samuel, since we've come to the epilogue and we don't know the chronological order, we don't know if this is before the fall of with Bathsheba, after Absalom's rebellion. We don't know for sure where it lands. But when David fought this particular battle, he became weary. He became faint. When a king was on the battlefield, and some believe that this has to be the pre, uh, before the fall with Bathsheba because we're going to read something in here that there's an incident that occurs here that David apparently doesn't go back on the battlefield again because of their concern for his welfare. But if you were a king and you were in the midst of the battle, the enemy would turn their sights upon you because if they could kill you, they could pretty much you know, hurt your whole nation, hurt your whole army. So it would, um, it would seem that David was in the midst of the heat of the battle and he was fighting multiple people. We don't know all the backstory. But when they fought against the Philistines, end of verse 15, David got tired. And you're going to get tired sometimes too in the battle. And that is okay. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. Sometimes you're going to get weary in the battle. Sometimes you're going to try to dig deep and you're going to look for resources and you're going to run out of your own resources and that's when you're going to need the Lord. You're going to need maybe a respite. You're going to need to just come to him and say, Lord, you need to fill my cup because I got nothing left to give. And there are many times during my week that I'm weary. Uh, many times when I give myself away to preaching or to people or to stressful situations, you can all relate with your job and your family and whatever you're going through. And I want to be strong for those around me. And I, I tap into the resources that God gives, but I still get weary. I told the people when we were going uh, on our trip to Israel, I said, hey, I don't wake up every morning feeling like I can conquer the world, right? That's not how it works. I need God's resources every single day. And David, in the midst of his battle, became weary. It would seem that the Hebrew sentence indicates that the Philistines were the aggressors in the battle. And so it's kind of like if you get this idea of the Philistines are on the march again. The Philistines are on the march again. The Philistines, they're circling the wagons again. Okay, let's grab our armor. Let's, let's take the fight to them. And, and the Christian life can seem that way. But I don't know what people without God do in the battle. Amen? I'm so glad that I have armor. I have the armor of God, not my own resources. So I'm to put on the full armor of God. That's how we take our stand against the schemes of the devil. And he does have schemes. And David was weary. And so Israel... Contrasted with the Philistines, Israel was supposed to be governed by God. That's the idea of the name Israel. Look at verse 15. The Philistines were at war again with Israel. Israel means governed by God. The Philistines, the name actually means an invader. It could mean an immigrant. 
And so when the Philistines came at Israel, the invaders were coming in and Israel was trying to be governed by God. And you and I are trying to be governed by God. We're trying to live out the priorities of the kingdom and we often feel like we're being invaded by the enemy. (laughs) And sometimes we've met the enemy and it's the person staring back at us in the mirror. Ouch. Sometimes it's the war within. Sometimes it's just simply the flesh. But the war goes on. And David became weary. The word for weary, as I mentioned, oof, O-O-F in English, can mean to cover with wings or to fly or to be faint. I want to turn you to Psalm 69. One of many times that David cries out to God in the midst of weariness, Psalm 69. And I do believe that a psalm a day will help keep weariness away, or at least it will quell it. Psalm 69, verse 1, David writing says, Save me, O God, 69.1, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, 69.2 Psalms, and there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I, verse 3, am weary. With my crying, my throat is parched, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. O God, it is you who knows my folly, and my wrongs are not hidden from you. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me. O Lord God of hosts, may those who seek you not be dishonored through me. O God of Israel, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail the test. I'm a leader, David would say. I'm leading the nation. They would call him the lamp of Israel. That's a big burden to carry. And David's enemies, if you look at um, one of the verses here, I think it's verse, uh, oh, was it verse three or four? His enemies were powerful. Yes, they are powerful. Those who would destroy me, look at verse four are powerful. Think of giants. Think of somebody nine feet tall. Think of if Shaquille O'Neal walked into your neighborhood and started calling you out. Michael! (laughs) Come on, let's fight. And Shaq's only seven, one or two, right? This dude makes Shaq look short. Come on now. What would you do? I believe in the Lord, but that guy's nine feet tall. I'm 5'8 on a good day, 5'9 on my license. It's before I became a Christian. Aren't you, doesn't it crack you up when you see the stats on a football or a basketball player and it says he's this tall and you're like, no, he ain't. <laughs> he's not that tall. Isaiah chapter 40 says, Do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain what? New strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Charles Stanley told a 
story one time. I think it was one of his books or one of the uh, teachings that he gave. And he said that he was at a point in his ministry. There was a lot going on. There was a television program. There was radio. There was the church. There was speaking engagements. And he said that after Sunday, for a while in the ministry, he would wake up on Monday and he was sort of tired, but by Tuesday morning he could get going. And then it was, he was tired on Monday and Tuesday, but by Wednesday morning he could get going. And then it was, he was tired on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and by Thursday morning he could get going. And he knew he was in trouble. And one of his good friends looked at him in the eyes and said to him, Charles, you need, you need a break. You need, to, you need to go on a hiatus. You need to get away from the ministry for a while because if you don't, you're going to sink to the bottom. You're going to be done. And I'm going to talk to the elders of the church and I'm going to tell them that you need a break from ministry for several months. And it was very difficult. Charles Stanley said it was very difficult for him to accept that. It was very difficult for him to come to the realization that he was tired and that he needed a break. And that friend talked to the elders of the church and they did give him a break. And he said he, was, he, he enjoys photography and he went off to a mountainous area and he was taking photographs. And he said, all of a sudden, he saw an eagle in flight. And he said the eagle had just caught a wind gust. And it was just, it's just beautiful when you see this, right? The eagle was just soaring. Not, but, and the Lord spoke to him in that moment and said, that's what you need to do. You need to take the wind gust of the Spirit and soar. You need to trust in my resources and my strength because if I could put it this way, you've been flapping your wings. You've been dipping into your resources, but I have an endless storehouse of resources. In fact, I give strength to the weary, God would say. Those who are tired, I have tireless resources. I don't get tired. You do, I don't. It may be that when we end up in heaven, we don't get tired. Although, I have learned to enjoy naps. Can I get a witness? Anybody? When you're little, you don't want a nap. I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. And as a parent, you say, one day you will want to go to bed. <laughs> right? They don't get that. And so God was teaching David about the depths of his strength. I believe that one of the great lessons of our lives, and I'm still trying to learn it, is how to best tap into God's strength. And I've realized something, and I have said to you guys many times, I don't like it, but it's just reality, that usually the only way I can tap into God's resources is when I'm feeling like I don't have my own. And when I'm weak, then I am strong. And it is so different from the way I grew up. It is so different from my personality. I'm an achiever. I'm a doer. I like to work out. I like to get things done. And God has been breaking me of me. Oh, it's so hard to come to the realization that one of the main things in the way of my spiritual life And 
So every day I have to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. One of the prayers has to be, Lord, live through me. I don't have the resources to fight these battles. I get tired rather quickly. Fighting the giants can be wearying. It's hard. But it's at those times that I realize that God has always been with me. And that's David's story. The Lord was with David wherever he went. That's why he was successful. It wasn't David's great strength. It was God's strength in David. And so we have giants in our lives. I don't know what your giants are tonight. I don't know if you're wrestling with stress. I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's lust. I don't know if it's pride. But whatever you're wrestling with tonight, whatever your giant is, that giant can fall. But it's going to have to be when the battle belongs to the Lord. And so verse 16 says, Then Ishbi Banab, his name, verse 16, back in 2 Samuel 21, means his dwelling is on the heights, who was among the descendants of the giant. If you have an NIV, it says Rapha. This is the Hebrew, and the Hebrew actually has the definite article. So it could be the giants. He was from, he was a descendant of the giants or of the giant, singular. But the word the is there. So the giant or the giants here, the Rapha. The weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight. That's about seven and a half to eight pounds. By the way, that weight is half the weight of Goliath's. Contrast 1 Samuel 17, 7. And he was girded with a new weapon. The translators add a sword. We don't know if it was a sword for sure. That's why it's probably italicized in your version. But he had another weapon, and he had this spearhead or this spear, uh, you know, significant in weight, and he had some sort of new weapon, probably a sword, and he intended to kill David, and he may, the Hebrew suggests that he may have spoken out his intention. Something like this. Here's another giant. David's in the battle. He's weary. And the giant, watching David, maybe running out of gas, says something like this. I'm going to kill you, David. You're mine. And this is another big guy. This is another gigantor type of individual. (laughs) And when you're tired... You're even more vulnerable to fall. In fact, when I was leaving here on Sunday and I preached to you a message, if you were here on trials, and I was talking about how we're supposed to count it all joy and that when we get in trouble, it's not God doing it to us, it's our own lust. And I, we use the lure and the fishing hook and all of that. And we're, I think we're all hopefully encouraged and challenged and yes and okay. And then I, I, second service is over and I'm walking out and I said to somebody, you know what, I have to be just extra kind of just vigilant right now. Do you know why? Because I just preached to everybody about lures and I can almost guarantee that a little fishy's going to come swimming by. I know how it works. I'm, I'm learning. I preach something and God makes me live it. 
so inconvenient. It's so much easier just to preach and go home. But when I got to live what I preach to you, it's extremely inconvenient. <laughs> but there it is, right? Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, watch and pray. The disciples, Luke tells us, were sleeping from sorrow. When life gets heavy, sometimes we get depressed and we don't want to get out of bed. We're done. Blankets over the head. Don't want to talk to anybody. Don't want to see anybody. Don't want to go to church today. And your wife shakes you. But you're the pastor. You have to go. <laughs> you preach, honey. <laughs> no. Right? It happens. And Jesus says, watch and pray. And he goes a stone's throw away and he leaves Peter, James, and John and he throws himself down. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Goes back to the disciples. <laughs> watch and pray. Your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. He goes back and prays a second time, falls on his face. Father, if it's possible. He did the same thing three times, found them sleeping. And he said, look, you need to be vigilant right now because what I've just shared with you, that I'm going to die, and now it's happening, and here comes my betrayer. You're going to have to be ready. And we know what happened to all of them, not just Peter. That night, all of them fled away. All of them, not just Peter. They all fled. And Peter thought, you know, Lord, I'm going to be strong. Even if everybody bails on you, I won't. I'll die with you. I'll go to prison. Mm -mm. He didn't make it. Now, he did make it back even after failure, and we can too. And this giant saw, this Ishbi Banab saw David in his weakened state and said, I'm going to kill him. He's mine. And David was weary. And we've got to know the times in our life when we're more susceptible than other times. We have to know our triggers. You have to know when you're weary and more susceptible to give in to the bait. Amen? You gotta know. You gotta know what your triggers are. You have to know where you can't be channel surfing, what you can't be doing on your computer. You need to know when you're most vulnerable and you need to be extra vigilant because the enemy does go on the prowl and he does go about as a roaring lion. I want to take you and show you something uh, to 1 Peter 5, all the way, we should know where 1 Peter is because we just studied it a little while ago, 2 Peter anyway, but we want 1 Peter 5. I want to show you something that we're, I think we were doing a staff devotion or a, we're at a retreat and this just jumped out at me. And I'm gonna show you the verse that you know and then I'm gonna take you back to the context. Look at 1 Peter 5.8. It says, 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, by the way, he is your adversary. The devil, he's your enemy. He prowls about like a roaring lion seeking what? 
someone to devour. Now, everybody look at verse 7, and I think everybody knows this verse. Casting what? All your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And the very next verse is be sober. And here's my point. And I didn't make this connection until the last couple of years. Is that when we don't cast all our cares to the Lord because he cares for us. When we try to carry it instead of casting it. Everybody with me? When we try to bear the burdens all on our own without giving them to the Lord or putting those people before the Lord or those situations before the Lord, when we don't cast our cares upon him, we become more vulnerable to the enemy. Here's why. Because we become more weary. And when we're weary, we become extra vulnerable in the battle. And that's why 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares to him because he loves you, because he cares for you. And you need to own that tonight. If you haven't done that, if you're a Christian, God loves you. He cares about you. And he wants, this is amazing, he wants all your anxiety, not some of it. Are you sure? Does all mean all? Yeah, it does mean all. He wants all of it. Not some of it. All of it. But Lord, don't you get tired of me casting it? Give it all to me. All means all, and that's all all means. Okay. Are you sure? Let me check the Greek. All means all, and that's all all means. Okay. Cast all? Yes. Because when you don't, and you try to fight this battle in your own strength, you become extra vulnerable to an enemy, a giant that's just looking and the king, especially, look at him. The king ain't looking so hot. He looks a little tired. He, he looks a little poured out. I'm going to set my sights on him. And the battle goes that way. And David, as much as we laud and respect him, back to 2 Samuel, um, he did get weary. He did get tired. You're going to too. In fact, sometimes, oh, this is a kicker. Sometimes you're going to get weary of doing good. What? Yeah, that's a Bible verse. You have to be careful. The Bible actually says don't grow weary in doing good, which seems to mean that you could grow weary of doing good. Have you ever had a day when you just say something like this? I'm sick of doing good. Come on, let's be real tonight. I've been good all week. I've been good to people. I've been good to my dog. Good. I let that person go out in front of me in freeway traffic. I've been good. And as a matter of fact, you may not have said it out loud. I'm sick of doing good. <laughs> have you ever thought to yourself, I think I'm just going to be bad for a while. And the Bible says, don't grow weary of doing good, for in due time you will reap if you don't lose heart. Galatians 6, verse, I think, 9. Hebrews 12 says, Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you don't grow weary. And lose heart. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. 
this is the temptation in the race. And it is racing imagery in Hebrews 12. Sometimes when I'm running, any of you done any long distance running? You got you to gotta build up. Uh, if some, any of you tried to do a marathon before? None of you? You can't be on an all Twinkie diet or, you know, donuts and say, you know, I'm going to run 26 miles. You got to build up a little bit to it. You know, you got to train, right? But though, have you ever seen one of those races where one of those long distance runners, their body just, <laughs> it's just, they're just done. And you watch someone carry them across the tape. Did you guys see that video a couple years back of a softball player who hit a home run in a game and she was rounding first or something like that and tweaked her ankle, I think either badly sprained or broke her ankle and the other team's players picked her up and took her around the diamond touching each base so that she got a home run and people were saying, is that legal? I don't know, let's check the rule book, is it right? I don't know. It depends on which team you're on and what the score of the game was. And they, they carried her around and they had her foot touch each base. And David, at this point in his life, actually needs help from somebody. Look at verse 17, 2 Samuel 21. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who sometimes drove David crazy, and he was not, not just a friend, he was a family member. And here's my application point. Sometimes in the battle, even if you've been able to defeat other giants single-handedly, there's going to be times when you need the help of another brother or sister in the Lord. Amen? And Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, helped David, helped him, and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, that you may not extinguish the lamp of Israel. Now, if you watch the Lord of the Rings movies or any battle stuff, and if you haven't, you need to. These are great, glorious battle scenes, right? But there's one, um, who are the little people in Lord of the Rings? What are they called again? Hobbits. Hobbitses. How can you forget that? Anyway, there's a battle scene and they're in a castle and the, and the white wizard is, he's battling everybody and swinging around. He must have, have good vitamins, by the way. Swinging around that stuff and fight, fighting people. And all of a sudden, and he's telling the hobbit, go away, this is not a place for you, hobbit. And one of the ugly orcs is about to kill the white wizard and the hobbit stabs the orc and saves the white wizard. And the wizard's like, yeah. And the orc's like, oh. Anyway, it's a great scene. <laughs> Here's the point. Pun intended. Here's the point. Everybody get that? Anyway. Sometimes you are going to need help. And you can't be afraid to ask for it. Some of you who are high-velocity givers struggle with this. I help people. I don't get help from others. <laughs> Anybody? All right, you don't have to confess it tonight. I have the gift of helps. Doesn't that mean that <laughs> I'm always helping? Is someone actually supposed to reciprocate the gift of helps? Yeah. And David needed help. In fact, you kind of get the idea that this ugly giant was about to strike David and kill him. And Abishai, at that moment, jumped in and struck the Philistine and killed him. 
And as they saw the Philistine on the ground, you get the picture that the troops gathered around David and maybe David was, thank you. And they said, you are not coming on the battlefield anymore. That was too close. Maybe David was like, yeah, yeah, good idea. <laughs> yeah, put me in the castle, good idea. In fact, in 2 Samuel 11, when it says in verse 1 that David was on his rooftop at the times when kings normally go out to war, there are many scholars that believe that David was not being lazy, but he had heeded this word from his military men and that's why he stayed behind. And remember, this is not chronological here. So don't get confused by that. Even though we're in chapter 21 and I mentioned chapter 11, this is an epilogue. And so it's quite possible that when David was surveying his kingdom and he saw Bathsheba bathing, it wasn't that he was being lazy, although he could have maybe been involved militarily with making plans and encouraging troops in a safe spot. But Abishai helped him, and the troops surrounded him. And they, the men of David, swore to him. They, they took an oath, and they said, You're not going with us to battle again, because if they kill you, they will extinguish the lamp of Israel. Wow, what a statement. David, in some way, was the light of Israel. Now, he was reflected light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life, right? Psalm 27, verse 1. We, we have reflected light. We are a city set upon a hill only because the light of God comes into our lives. Jesus, when he was describing John the Baptist, said, He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. This is John 5, 35 and 36. But the witness which I have is greater than that of John, says Jesus, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do bear, do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. You saw the light of John, which was the light of God. God is described multiple, on multiple occasions as the light of Israel. Isaiah 9, 2. Isaiah 10, 17, 58, 8, 60, verse 1. Rise with that light. 60, verse 19 and verse 20. God is the light. So how could David be the light if God is the lamp of Israel? Because God was the light in David's life. Look at Psalm 20, uh, excuse me, 2 Samuel 22. Um, look at verse 29. This is actually Psalm 18. And here's what David says. David says, 22:29, For thou art what? You're my lamp. O Lord, the Lord illumines my darkness. You are my lamp, O Lord. And the Lord illumines my darkness. In another place in Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a what? Light. To my path, Psalm 19:105. The Lord is my light. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. First John 1:5. And so, 
we had the African Children's Choir come out some years ago, and we had uh, three little wonderful African boys that stayed at our house. And they were so much fun, and they wanted to put on our sunglasses, and they wanted to take a bunch of pictures. And they would sit in the back seat of the car, and they would start singing. And they would say, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. And they were singing, and we're all in the car, right? And then we'd pull into a place, and they wanted to get ice cream. And the Lord is your light. The Lord is my light. We're singing. And we'd pull in somewhere, and they call everybody. If you're a male, you're an uncle. And if you're a female, you're auntie. It doesn't matter who you are. That's what you are. And they would say something like this. I'd pull up to the local Dairy Queen, and they'd say, God bless you, Uncle Michael. And may the Lord bless you. And, and I would look at my kids, and I'd say, did you hear that? They, every time I take them somewhere, they bless me. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> the Lord is my light. The Lord is your light. And they would just sing it, and it was great. And David was a light to his people. How about you? When you walk into a room... Are you a light or are you a bit of a bummer? <laughs> are people happy when you come or happy when you go? <laughs> There's only one way to know. Here it is. Say, Lord, shine through. Johnny Erickson taught a, a beautiful woman of God. I had a chance to be at the same venue at the KKLA um, pastor's conference. And uh, she was in the back room and she was, everybody wanted to talk to Johnny Erickson Tata. And uh, beautiful woman of God. And she will, will often say when she wakes up in the morning and she's got chronic pain and all the problems and now she has cancer. She would say, Lord, I don't have a smile to give anybody, so you're going to have to put a smile on my face. Maybe your prayers can become that simple. Help me to smile more, Lord. Help me to be a light to the people around me because you're my light, and I want to reflect that to others. Now, it came about, verse 18, after that, or after this, that there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Uh, some believe Getzer and Gob are either the same or the same general vicinity. Then Sebekai, the Hushathite, he's listed as one of David's mighty men in 1 Chronicles 11.29, if you're interested, struck down Soph, verse 18, who was among the descendants of the giant. Now, there was an, yet another war because the war keeps happening, right? That's the way life can be. And here's one of David Mighty's, David's mighty men, Sebekai the Hushathite, and he struck down Soph, who was among the giants. Sebekai means, get this, Jehovah intervenes. That's Sebekai. And that's the only reason that Israel had victories against the giants because these are powerful enemies. And it's the only reason that we have victories is Jehovah intervenes. The Lord, Yahweh, intervenes for me and for you. 
I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And there was war with the Philistines again at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jer-Oragim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, this verse has stirred up a lot of controversy in the scholarly world for one main reason. I thought David killed Goliath the Gittite. Why does it say Elhanan killed him? And one of the things that we find in a parallel passage, and I'll just have you write it down, 1 Chronicles 20, verse 5, reads this way, Elhanan, the son of Jer, killed Lami, the, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. And so there are some that believe that 1 Chronicles 20, verse 5, is the accurate way that this should be rendered, and that it was the brother of Goliath that was killed, not Goliath, because David clearly killed Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. So what do we do with this? Do we have a contradiction? Or what scholars would call a seeming contradiction? Well, there's a couple of possible solutions. And here's one of them. The traditional Jewish interpretation of this verse is that Elhanan is actually David. And it's the old Jewish interpretation that before David became the king, he was actually named Elhanan, and that David is his regal name. But there's some problems with that. Like, for example, when the boys are lined up, and then David is called from the field. He's called David there, not Elhanan. And there's some other issues with it as well. And so, if First Chronicles 20, verse 5 is correct, then this was the brother um, of Goliath, it couldn't have been the actual Goliath because David killed Goliath. And so there are many scholars that have landed here. They believe that this is a transmissional error. Now, what does that mean? That means that somewhere along the way, a copyist, no Xerox printers, right? Somewhere along the way, a copyist may have, may have made an error. If you want to consult a dictionary of Bible difficulties, you can look at this. We believe the Bible is infallible in the original manuscripts. But there are times and places, and don't let this rock your world. It doesn't touch any fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. But there are times when it appears that there may be a transmissional error. There may be a copying error that occurred somewhere along the way. This is a possible place. By the way, Goliath, interestingly enough, his name means soothsayer. And Goliath was killed by David. So if this is the same one, and some believe that maybe it was another Goliath, then um, uh, this would have to be his brother. Verse 20, there was war at Gath again, and there was a man of great stature who had Get this, six fingers on each hand and six toes on each feet. Twenty-four in number. This individual had the unusual condition known as hexadigitation. Not kidding around, it is a real thing. Six fingers and six toes for a total of, what is that, mathematicians, 24? 
And it was a problem when he was growing up because when someone would say, give me five, he couldn't do it, you know. He, say, I said five, not six, you know. It's a real issue. <laughs> and so uh, he was known as 24. They wrote a book about him. Uh, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Now, can you imagine? You got to deal with a giant, and, and plus he's got extra digits. Where did he buy his shoes? That's what I want to know. Or his gloves. I don't know. It's a mystery. <laughs> they wore sandals, so it's probably okay. And he also was born to the giant. He was a descendant of the Rapha. And he defied Israel like Goliath did. He began to call them out, challenge them. Where we get something very similar in First Chronicles. And... As he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, so another relative of David, David's nephew, struck him down. These four, these four giants were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. And so ends the chapter. Four giants, David and his mighty men take down the giants, and the question becomes, the lessons. Who are what? Who or what are your giants? How do you fight them? With the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's how Jesus did it. Jesus, when he was tempted, said, It is written, right? And he dealt with the enemy. With the word of God, one Bible verse in the right moment can make all the difference between defeat and victory. Have you come to realize that? Giants of temptation and all that may come at you during a week can go down in one moment. That giant can fall in one moment if you pull the sword, and I'm talking about the right sword, at the right time. You feel stressed? You quote Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious for anything. You feel under anxiety. I'm going to cast how many? All my cares to you because you care for me. You're hungry and it's past the lunch hour and you've become cranky. Man shall not live on bread alone. Or the actual Hebrew is tortillas alone. Just kidding. It's not. <laughs> I got an amen from the front row there. Man shall not live on bean and cheese burritos alone, <laughs> but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You need the right word in the right moment. That's why the word there for word is not logos. In Ephesians 6.17, it's rhema. It's the right verse at the right time to deal with the certain giant that you're facing at that moment. That's why you need to know your Bible. Because this sword, if it is sharpened up, will keep you from going down in the battle to the giants. Do you believe it? Are you coming to realize it? Whatever your giants are, fear, anxiety, pride, lust, challenging people. And just know this, because some of you tonight are going through some things that are so big that you don't know what to do. 
and you're even a little hesitant to quote some Bible verses because the situation's tough and you're not sure when the right time is to quote them and how you should and when you should and when you should keep quiet, just know this. Jesus Christ, the ultimate David, has slain the giant of death. The last enemy that will be destroyed is what? Death itself. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone. And at the cross, Jesus made an open spectacle of principalities and powers, and he triumphed over them through the cross. And Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and he is in victory right now. He has won the battle. The giant has been slain. All we're waiting for is the realization of the promises. Amen? It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Jesus has won the victory once for all. He's coming again on a white horse in victory. And his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven follow him, clothed in white linen. Majesty. He's your champion. He's your king. Goliath stands. No. He's got nothing. No chance against your king. Because your king is not like the human David. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And he has won the battle. And if God is for you, who, pray tell, who, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's principalities. I don't care if it's powers, angels, height, depth, you know, you name it. Nothing will ever separate you from his love. Nothing. Not one thing. Amen? The giant has been slain. And our champion lives. And because he lives, I live. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have slain the giant of death, of sin and death. We know the devil's a defeated foe, even though he's still active. We know that you've crushed his head and ultimately he will have his doom. And we won't have to deal with that anymore. And we're going to see our great champion we're going to look into his eyes, probably see wound marks in his hands and feet and side. And we'll be reminded of the battle that you fought. You entered into the battle for me, Lord. You fought for me. You died for me. You rose for your people. You live to intercede for them. You're at a throne of mercy. You're the king exalted, and yet you tell your people, you come, and you come and cast all your cares, and I will pour out grace upon grace upon grace into your life until you come home. And until you come home, fight the good fight. It's a good fight. It's not, it's not bad. It's not evil. Fight it. It's a good fight because God is good. Lord, may you strengthen your people tonight. May you bless them. May you keep them. May you shine upon them. May you be their light, their strength, their hope, their endurance, all that they need tonight, their peace. 
Give them a peace that passes understanding. Give them a hope that's beyond this world. Thank you so much for your word. I would just ask you right now, just take a few moments to meditate on God's word. Do some business with him. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, get to know him. Ask him into your life right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you. Be my king, be my Lord, be my Savior. Thank you for dying on that cross. Pray it if it's you. I believe it. I believe you died on that cross for me. I believe you defeated death in the grave, and I'm putting my trust in you, and I'm turning away from my sin. I repent of it. I'm turning away from trying with my own resources, and I'm trusting in you as my king and my Lord. Father, for those who may be rededicating and for those who just need some encouragement, they just need the, the flame to be fanned. They just need the breath of God to breathe afresh, the living waters to bring times of refreshing. May you pour them out and may each precious saint leave here filled, encouraged, and blessed. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.